Coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, by way of Stone Mountain, Georgia, birthed by the great state of South Carolina, is the Bryant Land Country Podcast, your place for any and everything in hunting, fishing, sports, and outdoor related, with heavy doses of randomness, guests, and an all-around good time. Here's your host, proud Gamecock, South Carolina Forever, AB3. All right, everybody, thank you for taking the time to come in, downloading, listening to the Bryant Land Country Podcast. We got a couple of things going on here today that I want to talk about before I get into my interview. My interview today is catching up with Jonathan Wilkins from Black Duck Revival. But before that, there's a few things that has taken place since the last time I've uh, recorded an intro to one of the podcasts. Uh, one of the things we did, you know, the last two podcasts were with me talking to Fred Newton, talking about riding ATVs and side by sides, getting out, getting down in the mud. Well, in actuality, me and my son couple weeks ago for our annual father sunday where we have a special day that's set aside just for me and him and we pick a an activity an event or whatever the case is um to do something well this year it was to go to ride atvs um at the uh durham town uh off-road park down here in georgia we had a great time we always have a great time when we go uh, we used to go a lot but just kind of got away from it uh, for a little while. But he uh, he said that was what he wanted to do for Father Sunday. So we got out there. I posted pictures of us having fun, riding side by side, uh, down in the trails down there. They got a lot of trails, um, all kind of little mud holes and, you know, things of that nature. We did see a couple of deer, a couple of rabbits. It's one of the good things about being out there on those trails, uh, just getting to see different things. But man, we had a great time. Like I said, it was our annual Father Sunday. You know, um, I think I posted a picture of uh, my GoPro, you know, with cameras and stuff. I like taking those things and putting them all over the place just capturing different footage and stuff and i mean we got some really good stuff riding around out there but one of the pictures i posted i believe the gopro we hit a mud hole and man we hit that thing pretty hard and by the time we finished at the end of the day that gopro was covered in mud and um that's one of the reasons why i like using those cameras is because i beat them to hell um all the time i mean i had one one of them one time i had uh on my truck trying to get a time lapse going down uh, I-20, uh, time lapse of a sunset with me driving down I-20, and I didn't have it down as um, as good as I thought, and lo and behold, the thing flew off, you know, down the interstate, and I was able to retrieve it, and I mean, man, those, those things, they're tough. They, they are double tough, so at the end of our excursion with me and my son, like I said, it was covered in mud. I was still able to get footage off of it, still able to use it. I'll clean it up, and uh, I'll get it ready again by the time uh, I get out and start deer hunting. Now, one of the other things that um, I have been up to is I went on a hog hunt here this past Friday, an unsuccessful hog hunt. And man, I, I tell you, um, you might have heard me a couple of weeks ago on the podcast talked about I was supposed to go hog hunting and had a family emergency, wasn't able to go. Sure enough, the day that I was going to go, they showed up at the time that we thought they were going to show up. Uh, so we rescheduled. We were able to do it again this uh, past Friday. I had a great time. 
like I said, wasn't successful, but just, you know, had a had a good time, you know, getting together. But the crazy thing about any kind of hunting, whether it's hogs, deer, turkeys, hell, gators, ducks, whatever, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. And I mean, we had, or should I say he had these hogs well patterned. They've been hitting a certain spot every morning like clockwork. I mean, and based off the pattern, we were set up in a great spot. But the day we were out there, of course, no hog show. No, I get back to Georgia. And next day, sure enough, because I knew it was going to happen, because as I've said, I am the mayor, the president, whatever, of Murphy's Law. Um, If it can go wrong or if it can happen to me, it will happen. And sure enough, next morning, I get up, get a text message, and there go the hogs. Same time that they had been coming all week long. Uh, like I said, we went and hunt on a Friday. They came through on a Saturday. And yeah, they were there and I wasn't. So um, hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again. Maybe string together a couple of days in a row. But I am getting low on um, pork roast. Uh, you may have saw on the Instagram at official Brightland that um, I did a pork um, a pork roast a couple of weeks ago. Even put the recipe up there for it. So I'm getting low on pork roast and sausage and you know things of that nature. So I need to uh, I need to get a hog before um, before deer season starts. So we're gonna hopefully we'll get a chance to try again here in the uh, in the near future before deer season kicks off. One of the other things that happened on that trip too is I had a snack stick, a pork snack stick. I have never had a pork snack stick before. So basically, if you're familiar with your processing of deer, one of the things that you can do is get, you know, deer jerky or deer snack sticks. They're delicious. Uh, you can get them in different flavors, you know, and cheese and jalapeno and all kind of other stuff. Um, you can do things, you know, with them with the ingredients and whatnot. And the thing about it, because, you know, like I said, it's from, you know, like a deer or in this case, a hog. It's not like, you know, the stuff that you get out of the store, you know, Slim Jim and all that other stuff. Once you got this stuff out, you know, like if you froze it and then you take it out, you know, you got to go ahead and consume it. It's not going to just sit there and uh, and hang out, you know, like those um, Slim Jims or beef jerky or whatever the case is, you know, those things are. They'll go bad. So you got to get on them pretty quick. And I had a hog, um, a pork snack stick. And man, I got to tell you, that thing was pretty good. Um, that was the first time I had been turned on to it. So whenever I do bag a hog, I may, you know, go after, uh, may get me some, um, some kind of snack sticks made. They're good to be in the woods, especially with the fall coming, deer season, duck season, uh, goose coming up, uh, dove season right around the corner, man. I know a lot of people are excited about that. Got a comment from the comment section on my instagram at official bryantland on instagram make sure you're following if you are not already you should be but i got a comment from guy john fisher on instagram i was talking about my podcast and um matter of fact he was talking about the uh episode 30 which was the first uh part of my conversation with fred newton southern attraction mudslingers and his comment was, you know, looking forward to this one, episode 30. It's like, I'm still on uh, Black Steve Irwin at the moment, the episode before that. He said, that's a good one. So in response to the we don't want to hear your opinions thing, I want to hear them. 
keep up the solid work. I really enjoy it when a new one pops up and I can chill and think about being outside on my way to work. John, thank you for your comment. You know, I kind of said it, you know, facetiously a little bit, you know, about people not really wanting to hear, you know, my opinions or hear me, you know, yammering on an individual podcast. You know, in July, I kind of cut back a little bit. I took some time off. Had a couple other things going on. So basically I recorded, you know, just a little quick, a few episodes, just touching on some subjects and, uh, the numbers weren't pretty good or they weren't the numbers that, uh, I'm accustomed to. So therefore in the, uh, intro to one of my other podcasts, I said, well, you know, I guess you guys don't really want to hear me talk. So I'm going to start bringing back the guests. But John, old John Fisher here says, no, you keep talking. Uh, I enjoy your voice and what you have to say. So John, I appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time to shoot that over keep listening and make sure you tell your other buddies and friends and stuff to jump on this uh Bryantland country podcast train my guest for today is a guy that has been on the show before if you go back in the archives uh black duck revival was the first episode that i had a chance to talk to jonathan Jonathan Wilkins. Um, I just wanted to catch up with him and see what was going on down there in Brinkley, Arkansas. Um, he had been posting some uh, great pictures of food. He's got some recipes and stuff that he's been working on. Uh, I think he's still, you know, working on um, his website and blog. So he's got that going on. So I just wanted to take some time, catch up with him. You know, we get into his cooking a little bit. We talk about, you know, his plans and stuff that he's got coming up for the upcoming duck season. And man, if you don't know Jonathan, let me tell you, I mean, this guy's on another level. You know, he, the way that he looks at things, the way that he looks at going about hunting, it's a little bit different than, uh, than the average person. So that's why I enjoy talking to him. I enjoy getting his perspective and just how he looks at different things from the hunting world. So, uh, I'm going to get into my conversation here with Jonathan Wilkins from Black Duck Revival. I'm going to fall back. Y'all kick back and listen to my conversation with Jonathan from Black Duck Revival. Bible here on the Bryant Land Country Podcast. All right, Jonathan, we're going to see if we can get this done before the little one wakes up. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> how you been, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. How about yourself? Man? I can't complain. Just sitting here trying to enjoy a little bit of summer vacation before I go back to work, man. Hey, get away you can get it, man. <laughs> exactly. But you, sir, have been busy since the last time we talked. I know the last time we talked, we were talking about turkey season and going turkey hunting and stuff. But you had kind of a little bit of a challenge trying to get out turkey hunting uh, this season in the form of a newborn. First of all, congratulations. Oh, I appreciate uh, it, man. Thank you. Second of all, how is that going? And did you get out for turkey season? Man, well, the baby's going good. Her name's Hazel, and she's about two months old now. And she's doing everything that two months old, two month old babies do, you know. So she's wearing me out, but she's healthy and happy, and everything's going good with that. Uh, I was able to get out a few times for uh, trying to chase a turkey. It didn't work out <laughs> for me, but man, I learned a lot this year about it. So that's kind of part of the process, you know. Just keep keep at it. I think I'd, I'd have a much better chance next year from some of the stuff that I learned this time. But yeah. Yeah, man, my try. I got. I think I got out three different times, and that was that was all I could squeeze away because because the baby came right in the middle of it all. Right. So what what did you learn? Like what did what did they kind of educate you to? 
Man, I think probably the biggest thing I learned was about getting impatient because <laughs> I, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I got that itch to move. It wasn't happening the way I thought I was going to that morning, even though mm-hmm. I was set up in the place that I had found turkey sign at. And I got up and moved, went to uh, the other side of this big draw, and nothing happened over there. So I come back to the first place just to check it out. And you could see where that Tom had just beat it all up, you know, 15 feet from where I'd been at. If I just if I just sat down there on the side of the road and been quiet for 30 more minutes, I would have had as good an opportunity as I've ever had before. Did you roost them the night before? Was they responding uh, to any kind of calls or anything or... You know, they weren't, they weren't at all. You know, I was, I went out and I did the whole pro call thing. I actually went the second time I went out, I went with my father-in-law on his deer lease okay. uh, in Southern Arkansas. And man, they weren't making any noise. We couldn't find them that way. We were really going off of, you know, old logging trails and bulldozer trails where that dirt was fresh and wet. And you could see, you know, you could see exactly where they were walking down the sides of the road gotcha. and eating the bugs. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there really, there wasn't a lot of turkey sign on the, the piece of property that we were on, but the only place that we did find turkey sign, we found it day after day after day. Like I said, I got impatient and I wanted to go check out what was on the other side of that draw and I should have stayed put. Yeah. It's crazy, especially when you're running and gunning like that. It seems like the running and gunning leads to more impatience as opposed to just sitting in a blind because there were a couple, matter of fact, all all except for one, I got out, let's see, let's see, didn't get that one, didn't get that one, got that one, didn't get that one. So four times. So I went out four times this year, got one um, via shotgun. Yep, I saw that, man. Congrats. Thanks, man. Uh, it was when it came together and you, you know, you hit that, uh, hit that shot, man, that, that was awesome. But that was the third time that I had went out. So I got skunked the first two times. The first time I went here in Georgia had a beautiful tom and just flat out missed him i mean we did everything right you know he came out of that little hole in the woods and we had like a little decoy set up and he came out and he came down and i just i blew it there's no two ways about it and then the second time i went it was just quiet it was just dead quiet and i honestly think that um the raccoons and stuff kind of chased away the birds and then there was another time i actually got to go to kansas this year and the weather was just terrible like i thought i had a perfect shot on a bird with a bow and the way that wind was blowing when i went back and looked at the footage the wind blew it off about three four inches completely wow. off of where i was wow. uh, where i was aiming yeah it was the early bow season in kansas and i mean it was another nice tom but you know it just it just didn't work out and it wasn't in the cars. But what I was saying is like all those except for the uh Georgia one were blind hunts. So you're sitting in the blind, you're calling, you're kind of, you know, waiting for something to happen. Whereas like when you're running and gunning, it's like you're there for a couple minutes or you're there. I shouldn't say a couple minutes. You're there, you know, for, you know, a few minutes, you know, 20, 30 minutes or whatever. But then you're like, if nothing's happening, you're like, okay, I want to go and check somewhere else. Like it, it lends you that freedom is good. I know a lot of people that like the freedom, but it also lends you to being impatient. Like you said. Yeah, man. And I don't know, maybe it was the time of the year. You know, I'm not used to being out there in the spring, but and it was also like a new piece of property. So even though I didn't get a turkey, I still had a ball, you know, just hoofing it around this new piece of property. And Arkansas is so interesting because there's really these five distinct geographical locations 
So I hunt a lot for deer in central Arkansas. So getting to run around woods that look totally different than in south Arkansas. Right. You know, it's I'm still thinking, man, I don't know this chunk of land. I want to see what's going on over there. Yeah, it looks like a spot. <laughs> right, right. And so that, like you said, hunting that new spot, seeing new trees, seeing, you know, just different, you know, parts of the landscape and stuff, you know, that that's all part of the fun. That's kind of why, you know, like I try to get up and hit a different spot during turkey season just so you can see, you know, different areas and go places that have large populations of turkeys. But just because they have a larger population, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to be successful. I mean, there are no guarantees, obviously. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, like you signed up. If you aren't missing sometimes or just screwing up a shot or, you know, stepping on your tail somehow or another, then you're either not really hunting or you're lying about it. It's going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. There's definitely uh, a lot of folks that are telling tall tales about uh, not missing or these grandiose tales of coming close or whatever and something, you know, happened or whatnot. No, you just missed. It's okay. It happens. Yeah, you know, you're a human being. And there's a <laughs> right. million reasons. If you sat in a tree for 10 hours and you're gold, you know, the shot that you might have been able to, then you might have been able to pull off at 8 o'clock that morning. Right. Maybe you're just, your fingers are what they were 10 hours before right that fatigue sets in so but yeah no otherwise you know it, it was turkey season was pretty cool you know i'm just kind of starting to get into it a little bit more and then i feel like i learned more you know obviously the more you go uh and the more you go through a season it's just like okay you're just building on it. It's like, okay, my first season, I learned a couple of things. I learned a couple of things this season. So now, you know, once we get past deer season and get past, you know, uh, duck season and stuff, then when turkeys come around, it's just like, all right, now we're building on, building on it again. So absolutely, absolutely. But so turkey season's done. I saw you did some squirrel hunting, but you have been busy, uh, down at the BDR Black Duck Revival. You got some cooking stuff going on, man. Every time I turned around, it seems like I saw like a new recipe or, you know, a new drink or something. What have you been up to? You've been just down there experimenting, throwing stuff together. What, what, is this calculated like these recipes? How, how are you coming up with this stuff? Well, I guess it's, you know, probably some of column A, column B. Uh, you know, last time we talked, I'd said I wanted to develop the the wild food uh, portion of what i was doing a little bit more i've got some experience in that right it's one of the things that i'm really passionate about so i've just been trying to periodically put out some recipes that are you know accessible to people and interesting and show some of the dexterity in wild game and also just in foraging like that last recipe i did was there wasn't any hunting involved. You know, was, I picked some uh, edible plants on the side of the highway when I was coming back from a trip with my family. And, you know, it's pretty easy. Mix it with cold water, basically. It's just a plant called staghorn sumac. Yeah. Berries, the, yeah the, the wild sumac run. aid. Yeah, I was reading yeah, about that. And dude, that stuff's fire. Like, you you know, it looks kind of hippy-dippy or whatever. Or, <laughs> you know, people, are, people might be a little weird about, you know, pulling off the side of the highway and getting a produce but i mean legit it tastes like pink lemonade wow and it looks good like i'm yeah. looking at the picture right now it, i mean it looks pretty damn good man it's good it's refreshing and it's a cool thing uh to show your kids you know like i mean i grew up drinking kool-aid and activate because my parents sold amway if anybody knows about activate but uh, 
is is that like is that like even lower than i think we had what was it kool-aid was the quote-unquote top shelf stuff and then i think we had uh like berry aid or something yeah, flavor like that. aid man it was like <laughs> yeah flavor, flavor aid that's what it was yeah, no, activate was amway's house brand of a, like a powder drink mix <laughs> <laughs> Wow. But yeah, man, I mean, I grew up drinking that stuff and it tastes good, but it's a cool way to show your kids that where their food actually can come from. You know, I've got that stuff growing on my property here at the house. That's something mm-hmm. that me and my wife and my kids, we could just walk out the door if we wanted to and go pick that and mix it up. And that's something they can carry with them, hopefully throughout their lives. Sure, sure, definitely. I mean, that kind of, that kind of stuff, it, it sticks with you. I remember one of my great, great aunts passed away and i remember like everyone sitting around and they were raving about how no one got her cookbook no one got her recipes except for the oldest granddaughter so like i mean like nobody has seen like the red like she was you know cakes pies like all that stuff like everybody turned to her for that and i mean she shared stuff with like her children and whatnot but the actual like card recipes and cookbook and all that stuff she's the only person that that got it and she you know obviously still has it to this day but that just it made me think of that when you were saying you know about these recipes and stuff that you're putting together now i mean man you can pass this stuff on down to your kids for a long long time Man, that'd be cool. I hope they're interested in it. Uh, you know, really what I'm trying to do with it as well is, you know, I, I kind of have an interest in Southern American cuisine and the roots of that cuisine. You know, a lot of it is, is an amalgamation of stuff that's come over from Africa because of the slave trade and then mixing with these European immigrants in the South and what was available. And I like learning about all that and then trying to put it together with wild game in a way that makes sense and maybe stretches the modern palette a little bit. But Mm -hmm. I did those venison hot links. Man, those things look freaking amazing. So you, you broke down the deer, ground deer, everything. Like you did all of that yourself, the casings, everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you buy the casings, uh, right. You buy the casings, but yeah, I mean, you just grind the deer up and, Mix it up and pack it in the casings and twist those suckers off. And then I smoked it on the smoker before you put it on the grill. But mm-hmm. like I said, that seems like it's a lot. And there's a few steps to it, but it's really not much more difficult than making meatloaf. And that's what I want to show people is that, and like I said before, I love eating fried backstrap. But there's a lot of other stuff you can do with uh, with wild game. And, you know, to me, part of part of hunting and part of whatever you want to call it, woodsmanship or bushcraft or fieldcraft. It's mm-hmm. more than just once or twice a year you go out and you shoot a deer. You know, you go on a duck hunt and you shoot a couple of ducks with your buddies. For right. me, the way that I try and engage in it is it's it's a year-round thing. There's a seasonality to it all. And, you know, sometimes are are heavy in – your focus is heavy on harvesting wild game. And then there's times where maybe there's not as much – you know, mammalian protein to go after. So you're out there fishing. I've been doing a lot of fishing this summer, running trot lines, you know, trying to do some foraging here. When we move into the fall, there'll be hickory nuts to get. There'll be muscadines here now are popping off. There'll yep. be persimmons here in the fall. And the trade-off with all of that 
if you learn where those food sources are, you learn the seasonality of those food sources. You can take advantage of it for yourself, but the the wildlife is taking advantage of it too. Right. You know? So, like I was explaining to someone the other day, here in Arkansas, generally September squirrels are eating pine cones. They're eating pine nuts, so mm-hmm. you'll find them in pine trees. October hits, and the hickories are ripe, and they move over to hickory trees. And as soon as the white white oak acorns are dropping, they're on that. So knowing that in September, first place I'm looking is coniferous trees to try and find those squirrels when I'm squirrel hunting. And mm-hmm. we move in October, I'm starting to look at those hickories. Uh, and then I'm paying attention to what the mast is doing. You know, when I see those white oaks falling, everything in the woods is trying to get those white oak acorns. Right. Right. So I'm paying attention to that. I'm paying attention to what sort of mast crop you have that year you know acorns move in a seasonal cycle depends on the rain a lot of times you'll get a bumper crop and then it'll be a smaller crop the next year just all of that stuff time in the woods field identification of plants knowing what animals are eating it all feeds it all feeds the other processes you know and in turn i guess you can feed yourself with it well and then what i really like is just how at least to me, you think about it like on a completely different level. Like it's more, as you just said, it's more than going out, you know, two, three times a year. It's like, you know, you putting the puzzle together year round. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, you know, you know where this food source is from this time of year. And if you know where that food source is, then you know where the animals are. And then that's just going to make you a better hunter when you're going out, you know, whatever your whatever game that you're pursuing. I, I just like how you put it all together and you, you put the puzzle together and paying super, super close attention to those details. Man, you know, that really is that's what I I love about hunting and being outdoors and having the opportunity to, to participate in that. I mean, obviously, I like to harvest game. I like to have successful hunts. But, you know, you know, to speak colloquially here and, you know, like sitting in Arkansas, there's a whole lot more to it than just killing critters. Uh, <laughs> that's that is part of it. Right. But even with that, I try and stay mindful of the fact that to continue my life, I'm extinguishing the life of another sentient being. So I try and be respectful in all aspects of it. And part of being respectful to the to the animal that you're pursuing is to learn enough about it that you can effectively harvest it and minimize the suffering that that animal might experience. You know, if you can do everything right, if you can learn their movement patterns so that you can get close and you can make a good ethical shot and it can be over quickly, then you've kind of done your part and you've showed respect to the animal that you're harvesting and then continue that respect by utilizing it in all the different ways that you possibly can, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, within reason for a modern person. And then when you're making meals out of that, you know, I'm thinking about where I was when I, the first time I had a muscadine or, you know, you're making toast with muscadine jelly and you're thinking about when you and your family went out and harvested those muscadines or you learned something on that trip that you were able to use three weeks later during early bow season. And it, right. everything's cyclical and mother nature is, is a micro and a macrocosm of that fact. Wow, man, you're on a different, <laughs> you're on a different level with it, bro, for real. <laughs> like, oh man, I don't know about that. I mean, there's, I think there's, I think there's tons of people that are, that are really trying to immerse themselves in it. And, and like we talked about last time, man, it's, it's not about a right and a wrong way. It's what fits in your life, exactly. where, where your interest level lies. Uh, exactly. 
I guess I am. I have gone off kind of the deep end with it, but that's what's cool about it is that I'm able to. Right. And then in turn, it's just, you know, you just put stuff out there and it just makes you it just makes you think like I was thumbing through, you know, your website, looking at the recipes and stuff like I would have never thought about like the like the ice cream. Like I'm looking at this ice cream recipe and, you know, looking at the berries and stuff, they look like, you know, raspberries or blackberries that you would just go and get, you know, from like Publix or whatever. But man, this is stuff that you got right in your backyard and lo and behold you don't come up with a with a recipe for ice cream and i'm sitting here looking at it i'm like gee man like <laughs> like you just like i said just on a different level with it man you know kind of the challenge i gave myself was that uh you know on sundays i try and do a family dinner mm-hmm. and you know i try and you know i'm busy all week long my wife's busy you know we got jobs and kids and all that and so on sundays i try and take some time and be real mindful and use wild game or something that we've gone out and fished for or foraged just in our travels. And then put something together that, you know, everybody can enjoy. But it's exposing my kids to different stuff. Right. It's broadening their palates. And, like, when we made that ice cream, we had a couple friends over, and actually their parents were in town visiting, so they came over. And then we all sat on the front porch of my house, and, you know, we ate that ice cream. Like, it was some Norman Rockwell type stuff. <laughs> And, you know, it's just like, it's a good memory. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. It took me, you know, 30 minutes to whip up the, the base for the ice cream. And then I stuck it in the ice cream maker. And, mm-hmm. and that was it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't undoable. Like any normal person could do it if they were so inclined. And I'm not even, I'm not putting the recipes out even to try and convince people that they should be doing what I'm doing. I just want them to know that they can. Right. That that's an option for them. And that, and maybe they don't want to go as far off into it as I am. But maybe they want to dip their toes a little bit further in the pool than they would initially because they've seen like, whoa, you could go out and just – I mean, you could go out in Central Park right now and forage food and put some crazy new age looking meal together. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, human beings for thousands and thousands of years went and, uh, you know, collected acorns and leached the tannins out of them and roasted them and ground them into flour and did all sorts of stuff. I've done right. that before. I mean, it's it's kind of a lot of work, but you could absolutely go out into any park where anybody lives, and you could get a lot more food than than people would think you could. And see, that that's the thing that I've kind of personally started, you know, dabbling in. And, you know, for somebody that's been hunting forever or, you know, been living, you know, off the land and stuff like that, it's probably an old hat to them. But, you know, for me, you know, actually, you know, dressing you know, your own deer or taking like the back strap uh, from, you know, your hogs and stuff and actually cutting up your own pork chops, you know, dressing your own bird, uh, the turkeys and um, and ducks and geese and stuff and actually cleaning them and dressing them and cutting them up into strips. And same thing with your fish, like all that stuff, just actually doing it by hand. Like you said, it is a lot of work, but it's 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 been really cool and it's been really for me it's just been a really good experience you know learning different ways that you can preserve your own meat and stuff like i got the um the sealer a few months back and yeah man, vacuum sealer. yeah oh man like i said people have probably been up 
on the vacuum sealer for a while. I am late to the vacuum sealer party, but man, that thing is golden. Like you just cut up everything and then you can put it however you want. You can ration it however you want. You're not at the mercy, you know, of the, uh, of the packer or whatever. You can just kind of do it yourself, man. That, I was like a kid in a candy store and I got that thing. I was looking for like anything that I could vacuum seal. It's like, <laughs> let's do it. Like, yeah, man. You know, if you got that, you might even want to step into, you know, step into it and get you like a, a sous vide setup, you know, the vacuum sealer and a sous vide setup. I and mean, you can make some amazing stuff out of wild game and make it really, really simple. Yeah. Like I was looking at that, like, you know, making like your own jerky and stuff like that. Like the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the dehydrator and stuff, like making like your own jerky. So you have your own snacks and stuff when you go yeah, out on yeah. your hunts and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. We do that all the time, man. And you, know, you don't even have to have a dehydrator. You can do that just in an oven. I mean, I remember I went and visited my sister used to live in Switzerland and, uh, I went over there and visited her for a while. And then I took a gang of deer jerky over there too. And, <laughs> you know, it was her and there was a, a few other Americans over there, but they all went nuts over it. <laughs> I guess they don't have jack flames over there. <laughs> But see, but that's the thing. Even if they do have Jack Links, I mean, I'm pretty sure your stuff is a hundred times better than Jack Links. I mean, you know, I know where it came from. Right. That does mean a lot, and that is important. I mean, I I wax poetic on this before, you know, about the nobility and all of this. But you know what you're talking about, you know, uh, learning and and hunting and fishing and foraging, and then processing those the results of those harvests yourself. That makes you part of the human experience. It's only been a very, very short time where people could just, you know, transport themselves in a metal box 60 miles an hour to a, to a store and get everything pretty and ready to eat. Like this is how our grandfathers and our great great grandfathers and, you know, people 5,000 years ago, this is how they acquired food. It's really how, how we as human beings, as human beings, how we've evolved to get food and eat food. Man, if more people were out there, Hunting and fishing for the food and putting effort and work into it, there would be a ton less health problems in the world right now. Yeah. Uh, and I would argue, too, that people would probably have even healthier relationships with each other because I really do believe that we're supposed to spend time outside and we're supposed to spend time exerting physical energy. And when you don't do either one of those things, I think it's no surprise if you if you feel crummy or you wake up and you don't want to go to work or, <laughs> right. you know, your back hurts because you sat in a chair 20 hours a day for the last 10 years. Right. Get that get that good sunshine and that, that good woods, that good woods time. But yeah, I want to chop wood, carry water. You know? right. <laughs> Our analyst um, for NBA, that is one of his favorite sayings. And I crack up every time he says it because he, uh, you know, Marcus Johnson. I don't know how familiar you are with the old uh, NBA basketball, but Marcus Johnson played for the Bucks. Okay. Um, superstar player played under John Wooden at UCLA but the thing about Marcus is you know he living in LA and played in the NBA and stuff he grew up in like northern Louisiana you know born and raised in uh northern, oh, yeah. northern Louisiana before you know he moved to uh for his family moved to LA but my point is he always says that and I think it's just so funny it's like people see him and they always think about, you know, L.A. and NBA, but he's just an old country boy from Louisiana. And sometimes during the games, he'll come out and he's just like, you just got to chop wood and carry water. He's got to chop wood and carry water. Yeah, put the work in. <laughs> yeah, you know, do the work to get to 
to where you need to be. Now, there was something else, too, that you just said, and I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, you're talking about, you know, Sunday dinner and making it a point, you know, to cook, you know, a nice wild game meal or sit down and have a, you know, a nice meal on Sunday. People look at me like I'm crazy, especially people at work look at me like I'm crazy on a Sunday, especially if we're, you know, on the road traveling or we're working. If I am eating what I call weekday food on a Sunday, I'm not a happy camper. Like I need good old fashioned, you know, fried chicken, mac and cheese, you know, a nice good Sunday dinner like ham, not none of this stuff that we eat during the week, you know, burgers or grabbing a pizza because, you know, we're on a flight or we're, you know, running and gunning and stuff during the week. I need real down home food on a Sunday. Are you like that as well? Man, you know, I've actually, I probably have been more like that in the past, probably the last five or six months I've really been traveling focus on just living clean and healthy and just pretty much living off of grilled meat and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that probably what you're responding to, I bet in a lot of ways, is it's, it's probably even less about those actual food things. I mean, and you're talking about good stuff, fried chicken and mac and cheese <laughs> and greens and all that. But, but I bet a lot of it has to do with the nostalgia and, and what you associate that stuff with, whether it's going to your aunt's house or going to your grandma's house or, people coming over to your place and that's kind of what i'm trying to establish with my family mm-hmm. the uh, time the time the spent time, over yeah. that yeah yep. and and you know little stuff like my daughter and my, my oldest daughter is too you know but she's she's at the point now and she's verbal enough that she'll say daddy got this deer. this is daddy's deer that we're <laughs> you know and so All she's right. already establishing that relationship with where her food comes from and you know, pretty soon I want it to be, you know, that's my deer. I went out and got that deer. You know, me and daddy went out and got that deer for us. Right. Uh, and then her having some ownership over that. I just, I don't know exactly where it'll take us, but I can't imagine that it, it won't be someplace good. Oh, it will be awesome. You posted a picture um a few weeks ago, and I swear I thought it was the cutest thing ever. You're on your tractor. She's on her tractor. And it's just, you know, you're talking about representation and then just being able to see, you know, to see that and to want to emulate that. Man, I, I just thought that was the most awesome picture in the world. Oh, man. Yeah, my wife took that. I was, uh, you know, I've got long dirt driveway and it was just getting too nasty so i ordered a bunch of sea ballast that came and dumped it and i just spent you know half a day spreading gravel but she's got her little power wheels john deere tractor but you know i do think that's important like her seeing you know her dad is putting effort and working and taking care of the house and where they live at and then having her engage in that as well and you don't do this because you're a girl or some silly antiquated notion like that like i want her to be able to be like fully be whatever she wants to be. And the best way I can think to do that is to just expose her to a lot of stuff, let her learn to be capable from an early age and then see where, where her desires and skills take her. But yeah, man, my wife's got a good eyes. That was a cool picture. Definitely something I'll look back on. <laughs> the, I can't remember when we talked last time, I know like you already said, like the cooking is a big thing and, you know, especially Southern cuisine and stuff like that. Did you go to like a culinary school or anything like that? Or you just just picked up cooking and just enjoy it and just kind of been tinkering and doing your own thing? Man. Well, you know, I, uh, I did not go to culinary school. I've been interested in it since I was a kid. But, you know, I worked in restaurants. Those were some of my first jobs, you know, bussing tables and then 
dish pit and I worked my way into the cooking and then kind of running some cooking shifts and you know, just as it goes and ended up with my own little restaurant operation for a while and still do a little bit of catering on the side, you know, for private events. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I mean, it's, I learned a lot of it just from doing and, and man, you know, nowadays, anything you're interested in, it was, it was like learning some of the stuff I had to do to, to rebuild a, the old church in the Black Dead Revival. You know, you can get books, the internet, YouTube, and then talk to people that know more than you do. And you can figure this stuff out. You know, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's no lack of information on the internet. You know, I, I remember three years ago, I was the only person I knew that had ever made a crown roast out of a deer, you know, or I'd French the tips <laughs> and made a crown yeah. roast. And now I've seen it probably 10 or 15 different times people doing it, posting on Instagram. So like I said, people are getting with it and they're getting out there. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the driving forces in my life. And uh, I'm actually, you know, like at the beginning of the weeks, I'm thinking about what am I going to do at the end of this week? So like right mm-hmm. today, I was thinking, man, I got to get these ducks in a brine so I can smoke them this week because I'm going to try and make some duck ham. And Ooh. I got some ideas about what to do with it, but I haven't quite decided yet. But, you know, by Sunday, I'll have it figured out. We'll do something cool. You know, we were talking about before, like this uh, kind of a summit um, that you're putting together in January oh, yeah. down at the uh, Black Duck Revival. And I can tell you right now, one of the driving factors in me trying to come is to see what kind of stuff you're going to cook up and uh, what you're going to come up with, especially uh, at that time of the year down there. Yeah, man, we'll do. I, I've already got a couple of little ideas, but I mean, we'll do some cool food and uh, there's actually some of the folks that are coming are better cooks and really chefs than I am. So, I mean, I'll be trying to bring my A game just so I don't embarrass myself in front of some of these folks. But, uh, yeah, man, it's something I've been wanting to do, uh, with Black Duck Revival. And, you know, like we said, it's, it's obviously first and foremost, it's a, it's a point of lodging for DIY hunters. But I also wanted to use it as a place to, to kind of bring everything that I'm interested in and that I'm motivated by together. And I said, man, you know, I've got this location. We're right here in the middle of all this awesome hunting. I'm actually, I'm finishing the fence on it now, probably a week and a half. I'll have it up for rent as well for this season. But oh, wow. uh, I bought the uh, I bought the house next to it, uh, to the old church as well. And I'm just finishing the re- redo on that. Nice. I remember it. you were talking about that when we when we spoke last time. So you got it. Yeah, man. It took a little longer than I thought it would. Cause, you know, family, but I'm just about to, I'm literally down to punch list stuff. But it's a cool spot, too, because it's a, it was an old fur buyer's house. And the guy used to raise, like, turtles for sale in the meat market in the backyard. <laughs> but uh, so I'll, I'm going to have, I've got that whole little section on lockdown now. And so, yeah, we're bringing in, I think, five or six people from around the country, uh, different ge- geographical regions and different backgrounds, people of color, women, uh, just kind of non-traditional hunters in general some more experienced hunters bringing everybody together just take the opportunity to visit cook together get to know one another hopefully do some really awesome hunting and talk to each other and figure out exactly what it is that everyone's looking for get some opinions and experiences from people that aren't like you you know and see what sort of momentum we can get with that how we can help one another out because you know pretty much everybody's trying to have uh, some sort of voice and you know the hunting community right and uh man i'm really looking forward to it to be honest with you man i think it i'd, I'd like to do it as an annual thing and uh i think it's just a i think it could be a fantastic opportunity to to meet and connect with some like-minded and really interesting folks 
No, I I think it was super awesome. When you messaged me about it, I was just like, wow. I mean, you, again, as I've kind of a reoccurring theme in this conversation, just like taking it to the next level. And like I said, when you messaged me about it, I was just like, man, God, I hope I can be able to participate, you know, with my schedule and stuff during that time of the year, being right in the middle of basketball. But yeah, yeah, I am man. going to make every effort possible, not to mention, I've never done flooded timber in Arkansas. And then like every time that I've been to Arkansas the last couple of years, it's been, you know, rice fields or, you know, over like a pond or something like that. I, I am really looking forward to trying hunting in that flooded timber because everybody that talks about it says it's the best thing since sliced bread when it goes right. Yeah, man, it is. It's it's a magical experience. It really is. And, uh, you know, I'm optimistic, I guess. I'm, I try and be pragmatic, but I'm, I feel like I've got a good feeling about this season. I think some stuff's going to come together. I feel like my my knowledge on some stuff is, is going to be able to come together and, uh, I got a new boat. So getting into places won't be as much of a pain. I had some disasters last year with that old radial boat I had. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, just get in there more safely. And, you know, I've been able to spend a lot of time in those woods in the off season. And like I said, that's another reason I'm fishing. I'm exploring the stuff. I'm making note of what might be good during deer season. What could be good? when the water gets up for duck season. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if, if we get down there and hunt for two or three days and we didn't kill anything, I think it'd still be an awesome time. But I'd love, I'd love to convince, uh, some mallards to come down through those treetops so y'all can see it. It's, it's something else. <laughs> I, you know what? If you have a good positive feeling about it, then that's enough for me. I can, I can roll with that. Obviously, like you said, you're down there, you're seeing what's going on. So if you got a good feeling, that's enough for me. Hey man, I, I hope I've been wrong before, but man, I don't know. I think, I think some stuff's going to come together this year and I'm hoping, I mean, the weather, the weather right now is acting the way I want it to. Uh, mm-hmm. We've actually had a spring that rolled into a summer, which we hadn't had before, just gone from 60 degrees to hell on earth down here. <laughs> but, uh, I'm hoping we end up with a, you know, with a, a decent winter where we actually get some cold weather and, you know, just some of those natural cyclical patterns can, can go back to taking shape and we can take advantage of them. Well, like I said, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm going to make every effort that I can to try to get down there. The last thing I want to cover with you before I get you out of here that I saw that kind of really snatched me up. Man, you got a syllabus out here. Hunting one oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you got a syllabus and then you got, um, a fella that you kind of took under your wing and you're starting to kind of mentor him and mold him and whatnot. Smarten me up on the, uh, on the syllabus. And then is there going to be a hunting 201 coming after oh, that? Oh man, or? who knows? I, I mean, man, really that syllabus thing is, that's probably more based on me being a nerd and coming from a family of school teachers than anything else. But no man, there's a, <laughs> there's a cat that I knew. And honestly, I hadn't talked to him in several years. I, when we kind of reconnected, I had to be like, man, how did we know each other again? I couldn't even remember. And he was, he dated the younger sister of a good friend of mine in, uh, in college. And yeah, man, he's, we're pretty much the same age. I think he's a year younger. He's 35. He's a brother who lives up in Northwest Arkansas. And he had reached out to me last year and said that he was interested in learning how to hunt. And I was just kind of buried under and didn't didn't really get a chance to do much deer hunting myself last year so i wasn't able to really organize anything but we started talking about it again this year and you know i just i felt like i'd gotten to a level where maybe i could pass on some of the information that i've been lucky enough to gather over the years man thus far chris has been all about it uh, i've got books 
you know, that I wanted him to kind of take a look at and read because as we've discussed, there's a lot more to this than, than pulling a trigger or, or killing, you know, there's a lot of, for me personally, there's, there's personal ethos involved in it. There's ethics are very important. And I wanted him to have some sort of literary background in that because it gives him a chance to think about it and develop his own ethos and find out what's right for him and his family and for his situation. And then the other week we were able to get together up there in Northwest Arkansas where he lives, went out in the Ozark uh, National Forest and humped it through there and found just a lot of really good deer sign. And I was able to show him, show him stuff in person so that he can take the academic part of it, put it with the practical. We're going to keep getting together every three or four weeks for the next few months, try and get them ready. Uh, and then, yeah, spend some time with him and see if we can't get out there and help him to harvest his first deer. Nice. Now, is he doing this, uh, doing this deer, uh, bow hunting? Yeah. You know, that's what we initially, we had talked about just trying to do a gun hunt, but man, we got up there in the Ozark national forest and, and hiked around. After what I saw, I said, man, you know, I, I understand if your schedule is such that you don't feel like you can commit the time to really getting proficient with, you know, a stick and string or a compound bow. I said, but right. you know, the learning curve on a crossbow isn't very steep here in Arkansas. A crossbow is legal archery tackle for anybody. And our bow season for whitetail deer runs from essentially the 28th of September till the 28th of February. So that gives you five months that pretty much every day you could be out in the woods. Wow. And that's pretty liberal too. Yeah, pretty liberal. Super uh, liberal. Right. And he's got, he's got some of the prettiest woods I've been in in a long time, 15 minutes from his house. I said, man, we really need to get you to a point where you can take advantage of some of this bow season. Not only because I think it will exponentially raise his chances of, you know, having encounters and hopefully harvesting a deer, but he's, he's going to learn so much if he's in those woods, not just at a certain weekend, you know, if he's, if he's out there, you know, some in September, some in October, November, December, January, those right. deer, they're doing different stuff. They look different. You know, their coat color is different. Early season, you might still have some bucks that are bachelor groups or have velvet. Uh, you know, I've seen deer into the end of November that still have spots, you know, uh, yearlings. So there's this whole gamut of stuff that he could learn and experience if he's got the time in the woods. And so, yeah, that's a really long answer to your question. But, yeah, we're going to try and get him on some uh, archery stuff as well. No, I mean, I just, I just think it's awesome. Like you sat down and you took the time, like to even just come up with a syllabus. Like I was thumbing through it and just some of the stuff. And I was like, man, like he, no, he really went through and, and put it, you know, put it all together. And it's just like, you know, break it down month by month, August, September, October. And it's just like, man. So, you know, part of that is something. That and I'm repeating myself, but you know, one of the books on there was a Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold, and you know, he's considered by many to be one of the fathers of North American conservation. Mm -hmm. In that book, he talks a lot about seasonality, what's going on in the spring, the summer, the fall, the winter, what these animals are doing differently. I kind of wanted to replicate that idea with that syllabus to emphasize the idea of seasonality being so important. If you're really going to get to the point where you can consider yourself proficient at field craft or pro proficient at a woodsmanship which i which i i guess really i'm realizing i'm i'm much more interested in that uh you know that idea of unto the whole person yeah than than just 
like I said, going out there for two days for the open air gun season, which is that's what you do. And, you know, you love doing that. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just saying that I love all this stuff so much that I want to be in it all the time. And I want to know as much as I can about it. And I'm, and I try and work at a feverish pitch because I feel like because I didn't start until I was 27, I'm behind in the game. And I'm very much aware that I could spend every minute of every day trying to learn this stuff. And I won't figure out even the smallest little fraction of it. So there's always something there to keep bringing me back and keep getting me involved. Man, And that's like you said, there are multiple ways to look at it. As I always like to say, there are multiple ways to skin a cat. And just because, you know, you are immersed in it and looking at it from all different angles and stuff, there's nothing wrong with that, man. It works for you. And obviously in the long run, it's going to make you a better hunter. So my hat's off to you, man. Well, I hope so. I appreciate it. Man, I know with a newborn, sleep is at a premium. You go get you some rest, get some sleep. But before you take off, let folks know where they can find you, Jonathan, the Black Duck Revival, the website, the syllabus, all that stuff. Let these folks know where they can get on this information. Sure. Well, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. It's just uh, www.blackduckrevival.com. That's the website. Uh, it'll have all the information about uh, being able to rent Black Duck Revival. And here in a couple of weeks, the Black Duck Bungalow. I have rates and links to all that stuff on there. There's also a blog where I try and post an article every week or so about something hunting related or ethos related. And uh, then I do try and do the same thing on the eat portion of the website. And then also, like, probably the thing that I'm most active on is Instagram, and that's just Black Duck Revival on Instagram. So either one of those platforms, you can find me. You can send me an email, blackduckrevival at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody. If you got questions or ideas about stuff or a recipe you want me to, to delve into, just give me a shout, and we'll try and figure it out. Man, that's what's up, Jonathan. I appreciate you taking the time, man. It was great catching up with you, and we'll do it again. Hey, likewise. Be good, man. All right, now I'm going to go ahead and get ready to get on out of here. Thank you again to Jonathan Wilkins from Black Duck Revival for coming on, catching us up, dropping some 411, giving us the knowledge, all that good stuff with the things that he has going on make sure you go and check him out and check out what he's got going on there at the black duck revival down in arkansas uh real quick for me make sure you're checking out the bryantlandcountry.com website bryantlandcountry.com we got videos we got podcasts we got merchandise we got everything that you need if it's bryantland related it is on bryantlandcountry.com all right once again thank you for joining me on this episode episode of the Bryantland Country Podcast. Y'all have a good week. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Bryantland Country Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Bryantland Country Podcast, hosted by AB3. Please leave us a positive review and five-star rating on iTunes. Be sure to check out our podcast section on our website, bryantlandcountry.com, for previous podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Official Bryantland and Twitter at 3 Land. This has been an AB3 Media Production. Join us next time for another edition of the Bryant Land Country Podcast.